Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, June 23rd, 2015. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are on page 92. We're going to start with paragraph 1. Today's readers are Reading the Twelve Steps, Mary B., Reading the Twelve Traditions, Santa H., and reading the text for us this morning, Renata G., Deborah S., and Katie F. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, June 22, 2015, is 7750. 7750. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary B. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Melanie. This is Mary B., gratefully recovered in Central California. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. Thank you, Mary B. I will now ask Santa H. to read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Santa H., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. And these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should, never, should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. A public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. I pass. Thank you, Santa H. How our meeting works. OA, excuse me, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 92, starting with paragraph 1. And I will ask Renata G. to begin our study this morning. Good morning again, Renata. 
Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Read in New York. If you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopelessness, on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental conditions surrounding the first drink prevent normal functioning of the willpower. Don't, at this stage, refer to this book unless he has seen it or wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Uh, there's so much in this paragraph. And, um, you know, it says, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, you know, and on page, you know, 21 of the big book, it talks about how the real alcoholic at some point of his drinking career loses control when he starts drinking, right? And so what that means is that, you know, a real alcoholic has, the, the twofold nature of this disease, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. You know, I've had many people call me before and ask if I was available to sponsor and then, you know, start talking a little bit and we start talking about food and things like that. And they say, well, no, I don't really have a problem with any food in particular. You know, as long as I weigh and measure my food, I'm fine. So if that's the case, you know, according to the big book, this person's not a real compulsive reader. I know for me, there are certain foods, certain food uh, ingredients that once I start eating them, I cannot stop. I, don't, I have no control over them. Why? Because I have the allergy of the body. And then, you know, even though every time it's proven to me again and again and again, like, you know, in that cycle in the doctor's opinion, that once I start, I can't control it, I can't predict it, I can't stop it. My mind keeps me, keeps telling me to go back to those foods over and over and over, even though they're killing me. Even though, you know, because of this disease, because of this overeating, I had lost things like, you know, job opportunities, my brother's wedding, relationships, clothes, clothes, you know, money, self-esteem, like everything of my life. And still, my mind would tell me over and over again, go back to those foods, go back to those, those foods that, you know, in reality were killing me. And so, you know, but it says here, let him draw his own conclusion. And um, if he speaks to the idea he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. So I cannot tell anybody you are a compulsive reader and you need the steps. I can't do that. You know, if the person is a real compulsive reader, the food is going to convince them. You know, the, the mental, mental obsession is going to have such a hold in them, like it had on me, that at some point I'll be desperate enough to, to try the steps. And, you know, that, that's what had to, to happen me, you know, I had to suffer two years in the room, plus all the years, the years that I had suffered outside the room, and then, you know, to the point that the disease finally convinced me that I needed something different, and uh, 
the only thing that could arrest that queer mental twist, you know, that talks about here in the book was going by, through the self-set. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata G. Who would like to comment on this? Uh, good morning, Melanie. Charles, Dave, can, can you put me fifth on the list? That's Larry. Yes, I can, Charles. Thank can, you. And can I you? hear. Okay, that's who I wanted to see here. I heard Charles, number five, one, two, three, four, five. And then I heard Kim and then Larry. Okay, who else, please? Carol G. Diane B. And Fasa O. Okay, let's stop with that. Then that's a good amount here. Let's start with Kim G this morning. Good morning, Kim. And I have Larry, Carol, Diana, and Vasa. Good morning, Mallory. Set my timer here. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. If he sticks to the idea he can control his drinking, tell him that he possibly, possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. But insist if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. You know, I think one of the most common questions people ask me is, well, what do I do if my sponsee keeps picking up? What if they can't get abstinent? What do I do? The book is very clear what we do, and it says leave them alone. If they're not ready to put the food down, leave them alone. Not saying it's an easy answer, but it's a very clear answer. So I just wanted to give two examples from, um, from my experience. It was a girl that I brought to the doctor's opinion. She said she had never heard you had to put the food down. She was blown away by how clear-cut the directions were in this big book. At the end of it, I agreed to work with her. I said, okay, are you willing? We talked about her food. She, had, she talked about what foods create that phenomenon of craving. And I said, are you willing to put the food down? And she just got quiet. She's like, oh, my God, you're serious? And I'm like, absolutely. She goes, oh, no, no. She goes, I know when I wasn't abstinent working the steps, it didn't work. I just think I need to be a little bit more abstinent than I was. And I got that. And I said, well, if you still think you can control those foods, I can't work with you because you need to be 100% abstinent. But that's how powerful this disease is. And the other thing is, unfortunately, not only people, but some meetings and some factions of OA support the idea that you can bend your way to recovery, that if you keep eating and you work these steps, that God's going to stop you from, from continuing to eat. And that does not align with my experience and does not align with the instructions I hear in this book. And what I used to say was, run, run from those people. They're wrong, they're wrong. And what I've learned now is I say, okay, that does not align with my experience. Can you do me a favor? If you need to pursue that with this group or with this meeting or with this person, can you call me back and let me know how that goes? Can you let me know if that works for you? And let me tell you, I have never, ever gotten a phone call back saying, oh, my God, I binged my way to recovery, and I am recovered and no longer eat. What I often get is people coming back and, and being pummeled by the food and by this, this, in my opinion, this twisted message of the big book about what, of the fact that you can continue to eat. So my job is to give you the truth. And I'm going to end with this. I often heard, people told me, and I've heard, you know, I've told other people actually, well, they left because they didn't want it enough. They didn't want it enough. And I have to question myself and I have to question my meetings. Is it they didn't want it or are they not getting a clear message? Because my job and my meetings job is to give someone the real information. I have to be properly armed with facts about myself, which means I need to know this book. And then when I lay those spiritual toolkits at their feet, it's their decision whether they want to pick it up or not. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Larry Kay. 
Hey, Melanie, thanks so much, Larry Kay, uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Um, so this paragraph instructs us to, um, one of the things is to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady, you know, provided, of course, that we're satisfied the person's a, a real alcoholic or a compulsive overeater. And yet what's interesting to me is that, you know, framing something as hopeless is almost like counterintuitive to what our culture teaches us. In other words, you know, for many of us, you know, we're taught from the earliest age that, you know, we can overcome any difficulty, any challenge, you know, if we simply have the right mindset and we apply ourselves, we can be and do anything. And now I, I come into OA and learn of the utter hopelessness of my condition, that if I'm a true compulsive overeater, basically I'm doomed. No matter how bad I want to stop, no matter you know, how, better, you know, how bad I need to stop on my own, it will be impossible to change. And I, if I've learned nothing else in this process of recovery, it's uh, clear to me that step one is not optional. You know, the, the, the beauty of this program of action is that it enables us to move from the hopeless nature of the malady, you know, the suffering and the despair and the degrega degradation to a place of spiritual restoration and renewal. So this program harnesses your heart, not just your intellect. And, you know, like, like wishing, you know, on a star takes no effort. I can wish all day long. Hope requires effort. And by the grace of God, the effort shapes our lives. It transforms us, you know, like from a caterpillar inching along to a butterfly. And now the paradox is, as long as we remain hopeful that we can overcome this disease through, through application of our own willpower, we'll continue to pursue another bright idea. I, I mean, you know, remember the admonition on page 31, by every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. So we'll continue to try to fight off the obsession of the mind with diets and vomiting and new relationships and a new job and shopping and you name it. You know, hope is not mere cognition. Hope, hope looks death squarely in the eyes. In a way, we admit our own powerlessness over food. Then we come to hope that our higher power will restore us to sanity. And this is no idle wish. You know, every vision meeting that we're on surrounds us with other you know, once incurable compulsive readers. But sobriety happens. The greater the suffering, the greater the power of the hope that God can bring about. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Carol G., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Carol G., compulsive reading covered just for today. Thank you for the meeting. I'd also like to share on the line where it says, if he still sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that he possibly can if he's not too alcoholic. Um, my experience has been to use this paragraph to illustrate how my life was damaged by the delusion we call slipping. Um, I didn't put all my substances down for a long time because I sometimes had the element of control. Um, I used to have what I called mini slips and I think the word relapse itself just sounded too violent to me, too cruel. Um, and the big book calls it enjoying and controlling our eating. And in the OA literature, I've looked that in the in the index, if you're looking under the word slip, it directs you immediately to, to relapse. And it was something I really wanted to avoid. Um, for me, relapse has been really frightening. 
traumatizing, full of shame, full of guilt, remorse. Um, but slipping seemed to mean something quite different. It showed me that I could control a binge sometimes and bring it to a halt. It hurt, but it had a payoff. It meant I could just steal some vicarious pleasure out of a binge, and it just took the edge off, so I could still work the steps. But over time, I got to the point where I thought, oh my goodness, I really can't keep slipping anymore. This is actually really relapse. And I was confronted with the fact that there is no door number three. And I could no longer tamper with my food. I could no longer get away with just having a bit to take the edge off. I couldn't keep chewing, chewing gum. Um, basically, I was trying to control and enjoy my food, just get ease and comfort, really. So how did I get lost in that slipping, thinking it was okay? I remember when I first came to my first ever meeting, I knew day one what I was. I was addicted to food, but I couldn't put it all down at once. I was so frightened by that, that thought. Um, so I put the most dangerous substances down first, then the next, then the next, until finally I was almost abstinent. But because I was still eating some killer food ingredients, I would begin the cycle again. And I guess you could say I slipped until the day I couldn't slip anymore. And today, I never judge people when I'm, when I'm going through the program with them. Those who struggle with the, with the slipping and the sliding and the relapsing, etc. All I do is I just look to help them correct the term because I've been a dedicated student of the big book for so many years, but actually I was still suffering. Uh, from untreated alcoholism because it was still continually triggering my allergy through this, this mindless eating, through slipping. Um, what I really, really needed, I think, was to make friends with step one. I had to make step one my friend. I had to open my heart to it. That being powerlessness isn't a curse. It's not shameful. It's not a failure. It's a gateway to freedom. And on this page here, in this part of the text, the writers give me, the reader, the choice to decide for myself, am I in or am I out? Am I one of them or am I not? Am I going to chase this illusion of control to the gates of insanity or death or am I going to surrender? And they won't brand me because branding's for life. I was allowed to make that decision myself and I said, yes, I'm severely afflicted. Yes, I agree. I can't recover by myself. And even though I'd said that millions of times, there was one thing very different. This time... Something was different. It was the person carrying the message to me. The person carrying the message was recovered. The person reading this part of this text was recovered. And they worked their step 12 and passed that information on to me. I can tell you it hurt. It felt like tough love, but it was still love. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Carol G. Diana, you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane B. in New York. How are you? Um, so I also wanted to look at um, let him draw his own conclusion. And um, I know that when I speak with people um, about this program, or really what I do is what happens is I end up talking about what happened with me, with my experience. Um, I've lost 150 pounds over the years and have been maintaining it, um, actually still losing weight. And um, people, you know, I've had experiences where, like, how did you do it? What did you do? Oh, my gosh. And I'll talk with them about the mental twist. I'll talk to them about the allergy of the body. Um, but I've had experiences where um, someone will say to me, but you don't understand. 
if I eat such and such, I have to eat the whole bag. And I'm like, yes, I understand that. I did the same thing. No, but you don't understand because if I do blah, 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 and this goes on and on, and finally what I'll say to the person is, you know, this is the way that I've been able to do it. And if you think that you have what I have, if you have this disease, then this is the place to go. And if not, then I'll say, you know, you have to you have to come to your own decision and you have to decide for yourself. I can't tell you. And it says tells us on page 31 that um, it says, step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. And that's what it's talking in this more about alcoholism is talking about us or it's talking about me as the compulsive eater. But I'll say it to the other person and say, well, you know, if you really think that this diet's going to help you, then go ahead and do that and see what happens. Because I can't force somebody to go to the to the rooms, and I can't uh, tell someone to go to the rooms, but I can suggest it, and I can also, and I've taken people to meetings, I've given them meeting lists, I've given them copies of the steps, and um, all I can do is plant that seed. And that's what happened with me. Someone showed me the steps. And I got to the first time I saw the word God, and I said, nope, this is not for me, and I gave it back to him. And then three years later, where was I? In the OA rooms. So um, all I can say is that you know people have to come to their own decision, but I can share my experience and my strength and my hope and hope that they will um, see a little spark there. And if not, then I'll just plant that seed and hope that for later they will come back. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Diane B. Charles H., are you there? Yes, I am, by the grace of God, up and running like a machine just for today. Thank you, Melody, for your service. Charles H., from New York, a recovered visionary just for today. And I want to drill down on a line where it says, look, it's a lot of good stuff, too much stuff packed in one paragraph. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. And, you know, as I qualified on Sunday, I want to drill down on Dr. Bob's nightmare. If, he th- if, if you think you can beat this game by yourself, that's your affair. And I have to so identify with the fact that I thought I could beat this. And, 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 and you know, the big book is being comical when it says game. It's not a game. We, we all know that. And, um, you know, I just came to the conclusion that Willpower is free, but willingness is priceless. I just came, I just came to that, that conception um, that, you know, I could explain my experience, strength, and hope. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's like an interview process. You know, like sometime I could get engaged with somebody and, you know, find out hopefully before I get to the altar that this marriage it's probably not going to be a good fit. You know, maybe we could revisit it at another time. But, uh, you know, I can't, I can't convince anybody. Uh, my disease is, was, the, was the greatest persuader. And, uh, and, yeah, you know, because people – can I identify in? When I first came in the um, OA program and people was talking about this big book, I was like, yo, y- y'all weird, man. I ain't got no problem with alcohol. Every time I drank, I got drunk. Get away from me with that. I want to lose some weight. But, you know, I notice I don't talk about weight in this program. I, I, I want to carry a message one day that has depths in weight. So I ain't got to worry about the physical part of it because, like Fred, um, my physical part looked good from the outside, but I was tall from the inside. So you know what? My disease, 
persuaded me to talk about this big book um, to people. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks for allowing me to have a voice this morning. Thank you, Charles H. Vasa O, you're next. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie, and good morning, everyone. And I'm Vasa O, Recover Compulsive Overeater, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. I'm so grateful to God for, uh, for the person that he put in my life that's 12-step me. And uh, I could identify what she was talking about, you know. And uh, she did not have to convince me, believe me, or persuade me. I had to come to my own conclusion, and I did come to my conclusion. I was doomed. I could not stop eating by myself. And, you know, I took the suggestion, you know, she said, Vasa, you need to find a power greater than ourselves. You know, we need to have a power greater than ourselves to help her, to help us, to help, you know, from this deadly disease. And I was willing and I was ready to, to do whatever she suggested. And um, I, I, again, you know, people have to come to their own conclusion. Yes, at the beginning I was chasing people. I was 1, 2, 3, and 12, and I was skipping the steps, you know. And I needed to, that's why I keep coming. I'm always learning and growing. I'm a forgetter, you know. There's no graduation from this program or from the 12 steps, you know. Here we are finishing step 12, and we're going to go back to step 1 again, you know. And I'm grateful for that. And, you know, it just brings me back where I was, and I don't want to ever go back to the mental obsession. I mean, I talk to people and I say, you know, what I did with the food, you know, with the certain foods that were poison to my body. I, and I, I ate those certain things and I could not control it. Even though I was, it was killing me, my mind was telling me, go back fast, I have some more, go some more, to the point it made me so sick. And, I, and then I'd forget a few minutes later or maybe an hour later and put it back in my mouth again. I was dying. I didn't want to die. So I'm, thank, I'm thankful that I have found the big book and the directions and the suggestion and the solution. And I didn't know anything about the allergy. That was, that was you know, I didn't know about the disease. It was something new. I was introduced. And I'm so grateful. I'm... I'm um, more years being abstinent than being into the food, so I'm just so grateful for that. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Would anyone else like to comment on paragraph one on page 92? Nadia E. This is Duke. This is Nadia E. This is Janice. Janice P. And who else? Do L. Rebecca? Do L. Got you. Nadia E. Nadia. Sharon H. Anyone else? Sally. Sally, I got you. Thank you. Let's go with those. Then I have Nessa, Du L, Janice P, Nadia E, Sharon H, and Sally A. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I've had um, sponsees or prospects um, that after we have compared notes about everything we've done with food and they have said, yeah, yeah, I've done this and I'm like you and I feel that way and not only the ways, not only what we've done with food but also the crazy ways in which we have acted, um, 
they say to me, well, you know what, I really don't know if I am a compulsive overeater. And, you know, what I say to them, um, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but, but also seriously is, you know, there's really one way for you to figure that one out. Just go to a Chinese uh, buffet and start eating and then try to stop and, you know, quit abruptly and see. Um, then I have other sponsees who define the quote-unquote abstinence foods. And they slip, they slip and slide all over the place because they're picking up those quote-unquote abstinent foods. Um, you know, I, I tell them there's no such thing as an abstinent food. Um, an abstinent food is something that I weigh and measure, and I eat as part of my breakfast, lunch, or dinner. There's no abstinent food at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I'm in between lunch and dinner. Um, and it's a very tough concept. It's, a, it's such a, an ingrained concept in our um, OA culture, this quote-unquote abstinence food that, that really trips a lot of people. Um, for me, the best definition of powerlessness is if I know I'm powerless over something, I don't go near it. And I use this example a lot. I am powerless over fire. If I put my hand in fire, I cannot control the outcome. I know I'm going to get burned, so I just don't put my hand in the fire. And it's the same thing with the food. If I know that when I put uh, a piece of something in my mouth, I'm going to get burned, you know, so to speak, I just don't do it because I am totally powerless over the outcome. If I don't want the outcome, I don't do the action. And, uh, you know, it's, it just, it's just very hard to, um, um, to get that message across sometimes. And so um, I revert back to my, well, you know, try to, step into your nearest Chinese buffet and try to do some controlled eating. Um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Du L, you're next. Good morning. This is Du L, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York. Thank you very much, Melanie, for your service. I like to dwell on that first part of the paragraph. It says, if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopelessness feature of the malady. And why is it telling me that? You know, why is it it's saying begin to dwell on the hopelessness and not the hope? Why is it not telling me to go directly to the solution? Well, you know, first of all, I need to know what my problem is. And if my problem is that I think I can control my food and I can think I can control every situation in my life, then that is the problem. The problem is that I have this innate nature in me to want to control everything around me, including my food. <laughs> and so, you know, how has that worked? How has my willpower and my self-determination, my self-reliance worked in every aspect of my life when it comes to the food? It has not, you know, and that's what it's telling me right here, that I'm going to dwell on that. And dwelling means I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on that. You know, I'm going to really hone in on that because I need to understand for myself that when I'm admitting powerlessness, what this powerlessness means, it means that I have lack of control. I have lack of control over my substances, you know, and I need to really understand that. I need to understand the feature of the malady. What is the feature of the malady? Allergy of the body 
obsession of mine, that once I introduce these binge foods into my body, my body reacts abnormally. It wants more and more and more of the same. And my mind tells me the lie that I can eat like normal people, that I can eat and someday somehow I'm going to be able to control and, and maintain my binge foods into my food plan when it's really killing me. So I'm going to dwell on that. And then it says, show from your experience how this mental twist surrounding the first drink prevents you from normal functioning, normal uh, functioning of the willpower. So that's what I'm going to hone in on. I'm going to hone in on the fact that I can't control it. All my efforts to control my binge foods have failed. And if I do that, and to conclude, if I do that, then first of all, I need to know what the problem is so that I can know that I can't do it so that I could go towards the solution. I'm not going to want to go to the solution if I don't know that I can't control it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duel. Janice P., you're next. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice P. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So this section of the big book here where we're beginning to work with others, you know, this section is for me. This section is for me. And why do I say that? Well, I say that because I need always to keep the memory green. I need to remember who I am and what I'm up against. You know, my alcoholic friend said, this is a selfish program. And Bill, Bill and Dr. Bob knew that without, without a doubt, without the least little bit of a doubt, they knew that without carrying the message, they could not stay recovered. So I like to remember that when I share my experience with someone else because over and over and over again we hear, show from your own experience, tell how baffled you were, Focus on your personal experience because I don't know about you, but as a compulsive overeater, there were so many times I heard you, you, you. You should do this. You should try this. You should, you should try this program. You should try that diet plan. You should, you should, you should. And that never worked for me. And I think, I think we recovered alcoholics have this part of ourselves. We hate being told what to do. You, 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 you should do this, pointing that finger. So they say when you meet with someone, if you think, if you're pretty sure he may be, may be like you, tell him about your own experience. Don't even talk about the big book yet. But, it, you know, he can match you experience for experience. And what happens? What happens in this situation for me is empathy. Empathy. We're on the same page. We're telling the same story. And, and if my experience is matching his experience, he's going to start getting the idea that here's somebody who gets it. Here's somebody who's been where I'm at, but they might be somewhere else now. And it'll get that curiosity, if nothing else, how did they do it? 
But at this point, we just stress freely, openly, our own experience. We keep the focus on our own experience. We talk about the nature of the disease as we've come to know it by talking about that queer mental twist that no matter how many times I said, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to do it differently. This time I've learned something. I don't want to go back to that painful place again, so this time I'm going to be able to do it differently. And how that never worked for me. How that was the hopelessness that I kept thinking this time it would be different, that I kept thinking this time I could manage and control it. But once we do that, let him draw his own conclusions from that, it says. You know, I don't have to draw any conclusions for him. I don't have to point out to him that he might be like me. He's going to figure that out for himself. You know, and if he has the idea he can still enjoy and control his drinking, I say, go for it. Wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be good? Maybe you are. I don't know. But if our experience matches each other's and that empathy, feeling with the other person, begins to happen, the door opens. The door opens. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice P. Nadia E., please. Good morning. I'm not sure if you can hear me. I can, loud and clear. Good Uh, morning to you. Great. Good morning, family. Uh, It's so wonderful to be on the line with all of you. I am a compulsive overeater. I'm recovering in these 24 hours by the grace of God, and my name is Nadia E. from Toronto, Canada. Um, So I want to thank you all for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And what I do, I've been in program, I've been recovering for over 20 years, thank you God. And what I like to share with my sponsees is basically um, that my the abstinence and recovery is truly a daily reprieve. And my disease of compulsive overeating needs to be arrested one day at a time and by a power greater than myself, than anything or anyone Um, And I'd like to share with them that when I'm faced with a challenging situation, such as interacting with my family, um, you know, doing something that I really don't want to do, I need to call, I I call in my check-in buddy, my book-ending buddy, um, you know, my network, and I need to have a plan. And I can't make a plan. Like, I, I might have a blueprint for the day, That's great, Um, but it might be, you know, turned completely around once I establish some clarity, and I can only achieve clarity if I have this um, connection with a higher power. So it doesn't matter if you have a food plan, you've got all this stuff, have all your ducks in order, but if you don't establish that wonderful spiritual connection, you're doomed. and I, I, you know, I tell them that I need to write about my anxieties. I need to surrender my fear and ego because that's what kills me is, you know, if I'm all, it's all about me. So when I find, I recognize that 
I, um, I'm accountable to other people in program, and I say, okay, I get on my knees, and that's where I am right now, by the way. I am on my knees, literally, physically on my knees talking to you guys. Um, and so I need to surrender my expectations. I invite God to come with me in all that I think, say, and do. And I ask my higher power to show me how I can be of service. And when I'm of service, I'm out of my head. And it feels amazing. Um, and I ask God to help me to accept, respect, and love myself and my fellows. And then I go and I have an absolute ball. With that, I pass. Thanks so much for being there and have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you very much for that. And uh, Sharon H., you're next. Sharon H. Good morning, Melanie. This is Sharon H. Can you hear me? I can. Hi. Good morning. Okay. Thank you for your service. And this is Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And uh, if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how that queer mental condition twists surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. And I've been in this program a long time, and my problem was I could get abstinent over and over again, but I was not able to stay stopped. And when I began to listen to this phone line meeting, uh, as a result of that, over a period of time, I didn't realize the depth that I was living in, the bedevilments, the depression, the misery, the just a, a sense of uselessness. I mean, I was still holding down a job and those things, but it was just, um, just this awful things going on in my mind. And I, by God's grace, when I started listening to this program, July of 2012, they were in the doctor's opinion, and I was given the facts with no frills or anything attached to it, that I did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to this food addiction, and that was what I didn't believe. And it says, in the doctor's opinion, we must believe that we have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And I am just so grateful that um, after all these years, that flashlight of God's grace... um, just shown on every page as I read that line by line, paragraph by paragraph, and heard it from these recovered people. And as a result of that, I did take this just like a textbook. I bought a notebook. I took notes. I began the process of the steps like I hadn't done in many, many years, according to the way this book lays it out. And as a result of that, um, I have been set free from this bondage of food addiction, and it can happen for anyone. And all we have to do is follow these very uh, specific, explicit directions that are laid out in this book. And um, that's why I feel so strongly about the doctor's opinion. I mean, I suppose if I had heard that, I don't know if I would, if it would have made a difference back then. I don't know. But it sure did at the time I began listening to this phone meeting. And as a result of that, I am just so grateful. And that's where I begin with any, any new person that I'm working with is in the doctor's opinion and even reading the forewords to the edition that just show us the growth of the recovery in this program from 100 recovered to 
the phenomenal place it is today and <clears throat> includes people like us that suffer from compulsive overeating. And I am so grateful for that. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Thank you, Sharon H. Sally A., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Vision for you. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. So I, I wanted to just hone in on these three um, concepts here in this paragraph that everybody has done such a phenomenal job of, of um, talking about. Uh, but I wanted to show you that these three features of this paragraph are over and over included in other paragraphs that are very powerful. We see this feature of explaining to them, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Do you remember how hopeless you felt? How many times? I mean, somebody asked me how many times recently they asked me, how many times do you think that you actually picked up? And I said, it's like the stars of heaven. That's how many times I picked up the food. That's how many times I started and stopped and started and stopped and started. Like the stars in the heaven. I can't, it's just not countable. I can't count how many times. Um, so begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. And the second concept we have here is that we're, we're letting them know it's not just about a body. This is not just a body problem. That is just a symptom. But we must let them know that there's a mental thing going on. I, mean, I know it's a mental illness. I, I wouldn't want to tell them too soon that. But it is a mental illness. There's a queer mental condition. On page 42, it calls it a mental twist on, on, on other pages it calls it the mental phenomenon it's this mental thing that's going on that surrounds the first bite that prevents me from eating normally that prevents me from normal functioning of my willpower and then the third concept here is this concept of that if he still sticks to the idea if his sick thinking still thinks that he can still control his drinking. So on page 44, at the top of the page, we see on page 44, the beginning of We Agnostic, very, very. I'm back. Page 44, top of the page, we hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If when we, you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. Or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably Oh my, okay, one more time. I'm going to ask you to come with me to page 30 and see again all these components on page 30. Over and over on page 30, it talks about his trying to control. And if we can get people to see, if we can help them to identify with our desire to try to control the malady that we have been suffering with, then they can identify too because that's really a key component, this controlling of my going back into the food. Also on page 30, it talks about the delusion that we are like other people and that this presently may be or has to be smashed right in the middle of the page. And so I say all of this to you, page 30 and page 44, um, and bring you back to where we are today because the key thing I want to say to you is this, this to me is not just about helping them to see who they are by helping them identify with, with what we are going through, what we went through to put the food down. It's for us to understand what we went through. It's for us to really see clearly, number one, that we were hopeless. 
without these 12 steps, we are living in a, in a hopeless malady. In a, we were doomed, as it says on page 44, we were doomed. And that if we have to understand, nobody else on the planet has to get it. I have to know who I am, that I was doomed, that I was hopeless. Number two, that I had not just a body problem, I had a mental aspect that was going to prevent me from normal eating. And number three, that I could not control this, that I was, that I, lack of power, as it says on page 45, lack of power, that was my dilemma. And when I get it, then when I meet the other still suffering person, as I do on a regular basis, I have a patient who's about 400 pounds that I meet with twice a week. I have to look at this and hear her talk about Weight Watchers and hear her say how she hasn't been to Weight Watchers in weeks and see how she continues to gain. It is in All right, I'm done. Just let me end with this one sentence. They have to want it. It's just that simple. Thanks for letting me share with that, Atas. Thank you, Sally A. We have time and an invitation for one last person to share before we close out our meeting today. Who would like to take that spot today? Leah. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much. It's yours. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody. It's Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. If you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. And, of course, they talk about the first drink a couple times in this paragraph. And, you know, these are very specific techniques. We're in Chapter 7, working with others. The big book is giving us clear instructions as to how to work with new people, uh, you know, that that we're interacting with, and, uh, you know, these are specific techniques, directions, instructions um, based on experience. You know, when Bill W. Uh, <laughs> was trying to carry the message, his first method was, uh, you know, grabbing guys by the shirt collars out of the gutter or off the bar stool and preaching to them about absolute honesty and absolute unselfishness and loving and et cetera. And, you know, after six months of preaching and no one working with him, uh, you know, it was Dr. William Silkworth that said, hey, Bill, you know, you've got the cart before the horse. You've got to deflate these people first. Give them the seriousness of your illness. Aim to produce a crisis. Relate the seriousness of your own experience and slowly turn the screws. And that's exactly what we do. You know, when working with someone, just gently, you know, building a bridge, you know, I share with them when I ate certain foods, I could not control the amount of food I ate. I mean, something happened to me. It was unbelievable when I would put certain foods in my body. I would develop this insatiable appetite for more binge foods, and I had little control over that. And and the day came when I did not want to be obese, and I did not want to be depressed and miserable and suffering. And so I said, that's it. I'm putting my foot down. No more. Everybody's going to be happy. I'm never going to binge again. You know, but my experience is that when I abstain from my binge foods, when I'm off of them for a while, I start to feel uncomfortable. I start to feel deprived. I got impatient. I was on edge. I was restless. I was irritable. I was discontent. And these thoughts begin to crowd my mind, and these feelings begin to chatter between my ears, and these thoughts get so loud, like monkey chatter. I can't shut them up. 
And the only way I know how to shut them up and get relief is to what? Is to pick up that first bite. (laughs) And once I pick up that first bite, my allergy is triggered and I'm off to the races. And, you know, sharing that experience and sharing the frustration and the despair and the hopelessness of my personal experience slowly reels people in, not through any, uh, you know, uh, beating them over the head, but just slowly turning the screws as to the frustration and the inability for me to stop based on my own self-knowledge and my own control and willpower. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah M. And thank you to everyone who shared their experience on this paragraph today. And we will close now with a reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll follow that with a serenity prayer. Will Devorah S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, good morning. It's Devorah in New Jersey, recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.